Hi, I'm Michael. Welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about Independence Day uh, and probably some more of the worlds for reasons that will be made clear shortly. Uh, I am joined by part of the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Good morning, everyone. Editor Alex Cayotos. Hello. And a very special guest, video, video, it's hard, I can't even say it. <laughs> video essayist and writer and the one and only Lindsay Ellis. Thank you. I like to I like to have my title be a challenge as a as a test. <laughs> so far I've failed with yeah. both introductions of the just, guests. Well, yeah, it's just like you can't say YouTuber anymore cuz then people think bad things. So right. you have yeah. to you have to like give yourself a fancy title so people don't think you're like a diet alt right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to talk about Independence Day. So the you, best movie. The best movie. Yeah. The best I mean, one. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Truly. Uh, yeah, I'm here to defend Independence Day's honor. <laughs> I watched it last night, and I enjoyed myself good. so much. It's yeah. good. Yeah. I have it on 4K, and like, oh, it's it out on 4K? Yeah, it's out on 4K. I Lord of the Rings is not, but Independence Day. Right. Apple TV, I rented it, and it was like 4K HDR, and I was so happy. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I have the like my 5.1 system set up, so it's like 4K, 5.1, 10 out of 10, oh would recommend God. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith, Chemistry for the Ages. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's Seriously. peak Goldblum, really. Yeah. Like, oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. I just like up on rewatch, uh, like even after that video, like because Independence Day is the movie that I just never ever get sick of. Like it's mm-hmm. the only one. Yeah. And uh, like, I, it was just like suddenly shocking to me that Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum never made another movie again because their it's chemistry true. is so fantastic. And because yeah. like they meet eighty percent of the way through the movie. Right. Yeah. It's and like then just it, the third act, basically. Yeah. And then yeah. it just it's just like they've been together the whole movie, and it just feels so completely natural. And it's just that never happens. That should not be allowed. Yeah, and an, an unexpected duo as well. Right, who would have predicted those two? <laughs> yeah, that, that should not work. But because like, that's why, like, I think Independence Day is unique among the Emmerich canon. Because, like, it's <laughs> yeah. the fact that it works in most of <laughs> his movies don't really. Emmerich. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah. So, Lindsay, your video that you just released as of the recording here in March was comparing Independence Day and War of the Worlds. If anyone doesn't know Lindsay Ellis, you have an amazing YouTube channel. Film theory it's analysis. Just my name. <laughs> it's called right. Lindsay Ellis. Yeah, it's easy it's to find. My name. Sorry. Highly recommend some of the like best film theory analysis oh, on YouTube. Thank you. Yeah, it's really really enjoyable. Um, we're all big fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, the your I really loved your Independence Day versus War of the Worlds video because first I I had forgotten about War of the Worlds, which was actually nice to have forgotten <laughs> about, uh, but to re- remember it through the catharsis of like deconstructing what went wrong and all the problems it had was really, really interesting. And then also you talk about, you know, the cultural context and how, you know, an invasion narrative pre 9-11, post 9-11, all that stuff. So uh, what what was the like impetus? Why did you want to talk about these two movies? Well, they're kind of two of my favorite movies. <laughs> like, And actually, it's like that was a remake of a video I did like a long, long time ago, like before I even had a YouTube channel. Hmm. I was on a platform called blip.tv because like technically my YouTube channel is fairly new because I only really started uploading to it in 2016. So basically everything I did before that is either offline or uh, uploaded to a second channel. But like that video I did that was, it felt like, you know, I really liked it because like I thought the uh, 
the pre-9-11 invasion narrative and the post-9-11 invasion narrative uh, and that comparison I thought was really interesting, but like the video was just kind of really amateurish and mm. had a lot of like fat and we need to like talk about Tom Cruise and how he cray-cray <laughs> and jump on couches when that doesn't really have to, anything. Because I think that that's the thing that I like as I've gotten older and streamlined the way I approach things, like when I talk about a movie, I had to train myself out of trying to talk about every facet mm -hmm. of the movie because there's a lot of angles you can talk about with Spielberg's War of the Worlds. And in this case, I wanted to talk about like the invasion narrative and its place in history and specifically as an adaptation of H.G. Wells, who's, you know, an interesting, you know, a really interesting writer and a cool dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, like the original War of the Worlds is like influential in a way that we really don't kind of give it due credit because even, even though it's like you know, well-known. It's really, like, it started an entire genre, like, and one that's still really popular. And I think that's really interesting. But, you know, in fact, and I also, like, I, I, I think, like, alien first contact things are, like, my favorite thing yeah, <laughs> in narrative. They're really fun. Like, uh, and, uh, like, those two, I think, are just, you know, just sort of, like, the embodiment of the time. And I think uh, the way invasion narratives play out in a culture in the time that they're released is really interesting. For sure. I appreciated your dive into history right at the beginning of the video. <laughs> the Franco-Prussian War. The Franco-Prussian War. <laughs> I love history so much. And I think that there's not enough of an appreciation, especially in all kinds of film discourse about the history, but obviously like sociopolitical context that movies are released in, um, in that I think we tend to separate our response to a movie from where it came from and like what it actually means to us in this time. Yeah. We like to act like we're just criticizing the acting mm -hmm. or something as though they don't all like meet together. And so a dive back into history and what invasion narratives historically have meant. Mm -hmm. um, and this, what you talk about in the video about like, the absurdity is the point, right? Mm -hmm. or, or sort of that's the attraction. Like, it, it, I think that's part of why Independence Day feels almost comforting to come back to yeah. now. Mm -hmm. Because totally. it is like you get to step back into that pre-9-11 world where we could just have movies like this. And it was just like, we. Yeah, they weren't loaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Vivica A. Fox, you know, in <laughs> yeah. the tunnel of fire. And we're like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the dog. Yeah, just like, I love yeah. it. I'm going to go into works. this closet yeah. and this will be spared. Even though, like, <laughs> like entire city blocks and everything in them yeah. destroyed. Yeah, you think of like Harvey Firestein going, oh crap, and like <laughs> how that is so like it's such a stark contrast to just like the horror in Spielberg's War mm -hmm. of the Worlds. And I think like, and you know what, that War of the Worlds is interesting because like that's one thing I wish I had gone into more is like this, the sort of how Emmerich and Spielberg were like kind of like diss tracking each other with yeah. the two <laughs> films because like Emmerich definitely does it in Independence Day like first with you know now that's what I call a close encounter mm, and yeah. like right. gonna go whoopee T's ass like he's uh -huh. um, like almost kind of like egging Spielberg like you look at your <laughs> friendly aliens my aliens are scary and then, <laughs> yeah. and then Spielberg kind of like you know flips, flips the narrative and be like you know like oh, like it's like Independence Day no it's not you know with the uh -huh. like oh say can't, uh, <laughs> and, like, my aliens are scary you know yeah. and it's just like almost <laughs> like a dick waving contest between <laughs> these two directors over whose aliens are scarier <laughs> because Spielberg had planned on making more of the worlds in the 90s um, oh, yeah he was I actually yeah he, that was uh, because he, he, he you know I think like in the 80s there was a point where he was like I can't imagine uh, no, I don't think that's actually true because E.T. 
originally was a much more sinister film. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was kind of, and then they kind of decided to split the two souls or split the soul of the original E.T. into two films, which was E.T. and Poltergeist. And mm, um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully. Yeah. 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 Thank I mean, God. I still find E.T. terrifying. But really? That's yeah. It's me. interesting how people like I did this when I was in high school. I did I, like I was shocked that people would find E.T. terrifying. And I like did a survey of like all in my high class- school. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Like because people it was very like down the middle. People either mm-hmm. were like E.T. is formative. And that's that's me. Like I'm just like because <laughs> e, like when I was like eight, I, I didn't even know what a director was, but I knew yeah. I wanted to be Steven Spielberg because he directed Jurassic Park and E.T. Right. And, exactly. Uh, Same. The other half were like, I find E.T. terrifying. Yeah. Like I think that that sort of urge of like the original idea, because like E.T. was supposed to be like the nice one, but his species was bad and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of more like Transformers if there were no Decepticons. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to help you out. Uh, friendly humans, and then they just made it what they will. I'm so happy because of E.T.'s, like, such a good visual movie. Like, it's very, like, very low on dialogue. Um. <laughs> there's a look, I've been, there's yeah. a look <laughs> happening here because there's a push from the writers uh-huh. and the LTS team to do uh-huh. an E.T. episode. I've been uh-huh. pitching an E.T. video yeah. to Michael for oh. a while now, and Girl. Michael is in the I don't like E.T. camp. Girl, get over it. He'll it's have, good. He'll have, to, he'll have to look at a lot of E.T. I think E.T. is one of like I think it might be his best movie and I think really? like just pu- purely yeah. on a <laughs> like just I th- the filmmaking is really really sophisticated mm-hmm. and in a way that I think kind of gets buried because it's it was such a huge deal when it came out and it was like so associated with Michael Jackson and so like the ubiquitous to the point of meaninglessness like you know Ronald McDonald right mm-hmm. um but like the filmmaking is really really like interesting and sophisticated and like there's very little dialogue and it, like trusts the audience to sort of impart like the way they use the camera to impart like the child's point of view and how that is the point of view of the entire film. So Listen yeah, into Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I got, that I got a lot of, spoken. I got a lot of feelings on each. <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean, Michael. Though, like when I was a kid, like Jurassic Park was like the movie yeah. that was like I want to make movies. Mm-hmm. ET, I think. Whenever I first saw it, I did get pretty freaked out, especially in like deathbedy, like <laughs> like clean room scenes. Yeah. Yeah. To me, but that was just like too real and too like wrong. And, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So th- there were moments in it when, as a kid, like it did, it didn't get me the same way Jurassic Park did because there was something too like real about it. Well, yeah, especially like if yeah. you've ever like had a relative get sick. Yeah, right. And like it is, it is very real in that way. Yeah. But also, you know, I think it is kind of fairy tale ish in the same way that Wally is definitely because it doesn't mm-hmm. really because I think that's a thing. Like it would not work if Elliot was like two years older. You know, like mm-hmm. with the the ET heart bond, and you kind of have to be like the protagonist has to be below a certain age to not be like really like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be giving him these explosives. Like in the, you know, in the film, he's like, "Don't worry about it. He's, he's he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's just give him that chainsaw. He's got this." And then he did have this. It was great. It was fine. <laughs> and Spielberg was highly influential on mm. Emmerich. Like, yeah, Emmerich's been very clear about that. And I think in German, they. Like after his first movie in in Germany, because he's a German director, they called him 
I do not know the German word for it, and I'm not going to try to say it, but essentially, like, German little Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Was <laughs> like, Spielberg. <laughs> little Spielberg, I like <laughs> it. Which was meant to be derogatory, mm-hmm. but it was because what he was doing was such a departure mm-hmm. from what other German filmmakers were doing. Yeah. It was very American. Yeah, yeah, like, mm. especially, like, Stargate does yeah. feel very, because that was his first American film, mm-hmm. and it does feel very Spielberg-y in that way. Because, like, the, the fact that his first two American films were alien movies. Yeah. Uh, and also conspiracy based, which I find very, hmm. he likes conspiracy. Yeah. He theory, does. He does. But I think it's interesting because he doesn't believe them. Like, and I think that that's that that's like this interesting dichotomy you have because then you have like the the people who like make you know first contact fiction because they like you know I had an experience like, <laughs> I was abducted and like then you Randy have, Quaid yeah like yeah but then you have people like Randy Quaid who is his real life character <laughs> yeah but and then you have people like Roland Emmerich who just like it as uh, story fodder like especially like Stargate with like the whole Illuminati and ancient aliens and pyramid stuff and then mm-hmm. you have like Independence Day which is the government cover up and then you have 2012 which is uh, you know the Mayan thing. And I guess Day After Tomorrow is kind of slotted in there. Well, yeah, but I guess <laughs> anonymous, like anonymous, the Spielberg truther movie, uh, or uh, Shakespeare truther movie. Oh yeah, oh, that's right. right. Yeah, Shakespeare right. didn't yeah, write did Shakespeare because right. I think like I don't think he thinks about how harmful like I mean like in the '90s conspiracy theory was fun, well, right? Was, right. Was, there was a movie called Conspiracy. Yeah, theory. it was just fun. It was harmless. It's cute. And now it's like yeah, Alex Jones is gonna take down like the yeah. government and like it's kind of scary well, it's, it's, it's kind of like anymore. yeah in the internet age it's a very different beast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because yeah people live in their own truth pockets and yeah have a self uh self-perpetuating bubble they're in like mm-hmm. imho yeah. the x-files reboot did not work it did no. they did not know where, where to go with that i was afraid to even watch it because it yeah, yeah. It i, I didn't watch all much. of it yeah, yeah yeah it definitely did um but yeah and i actually think like the x-files so this would have been kind of peak X-Files when mm-hmm, Independence mm-hmm. Day came yeah, out. Yeah. And I feel like you can really see that clearly too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, it was it's, it's interesting when you kind of compare the two where it's like Independence Day can't decide whether the deep state is bad or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas like X-Files has a very clear point of view. Exactly. And then like Roland can't bring himself to like be mad at anyone. No. Because <laughs> like, you notice that like in all of his films at the end of the day, or almost all of them, Sometimes you'll have like a, you know, kind of curmudgeonly character who dies and deserves to die. But like for the most part, his films tend to be about like humanity coming together against the thing. And like even like the, you know, sniveling little weasel secretary of defense and Independence Day. Like he gets to join in on the prayer circle. (laughs) There's even redemption for him. Yeah. 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 And I still think there's something deeply charming about that and very 90s and very out of place in our current filmscape. Yeah. I like. I like what you said in your essay about Independence Day, which is 9-11 ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> because it really did. Yeah. Now we're, yeah, we're so cynical now. Yeah. I think it also kind of laid the groundwork for the current nitpickscape of like film criticism where filmmakers feel like they have to preemptively address, you know, like potential plot mm-hmm. holes rather than letting, because th- you could, you know, it's like a, a movie like E.T. You could never, ever. No. I mean, you could. You could make a movie like that, but people would be really annoying about it. I mean, like, E.T. explained how did his civilization <laughs> go faster than light? How were they able to get the, like, signal from E.T. if they were already really far away and the E.T. signals only go in the speed of light, but, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's just like this cynicism now that you just did not see in the 90s. Yeah. 
What's interesting, the, the I don't want to talk about Star Wars, but I'm going to mention that, like, <laughs> that, that the Godwin was, of film <laughs> discussion. Yeah. The yeah, uh, doing my like Last Jedi video, I feel like I when I, I try to sometimes navigate all of it and acknowledge like these are all the different like corners and like everyone, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like you're heard, and yeah, I'm just going to mm-hmm. try to and just trying to navigate the the insanity of the reaction to like the last jedi and star wars and all of that and someone even made it like a like a parody video of like react like what would uh people's reactions be today if like the empire strikes back came out and it was just like kind yeah. of like all the same things and just like really exemplified like yeah there's so much more harsh nitpicky like you're saying like criticism of films that like i think sort of just ties into like the whole social media like personality of you know this cynical like this gotcha like economy thing yeah i think that's also uh, it's really tiring to have to write around that like as a film writer right i like with bright um whenever i did that review that was like right after all the like allegations against max landis came out Mm -hmm. i was like i do not care i don't want to have to address this Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and like because it wasn't relevant to the point i was making so like the way i just like i was like fine i'm just gonna pretend like there is no screenwriter and be like weird (laughs) weird they didn't they were just no screenwriter hmm nah okay cool whoops bye and like i think uh, the expectation that you need to like have a take on everything just it makes it really hard you know Mm because it's it's really it's it's just generally exhausting to have to like mind read hundreds of thousands if not millions of people and try to tiptoe around their expectations right yeah and one thing we like sort of just mentioned the favorite (laughs) (laughs) We mentioned the favorite in like a recent episode. And speaking of just like explaining things, I love that that movie explains nothing when it launches you into it. Not so much as a title card giving you the year, not so much as anything. Who are these people? We don't know. It, it drops you right into the middle of this world and trust that you're able to figure it out. Um, and I feel like that is the kind of filmmaking yeah, it's becoming that, increasingly rare. Oh, it is. And I love it. Like, Which is I weird because it when it does so when it, well. Yeah, when it works well, people freak out. Like Mad Max Fury Road is, you know, yeah, like yes. a new classic. And it absolutely does that. And it, it's it's odd considering how well that movie did that it, it's still kind of a vanishing rarity to have films that trust their audience to be able to pick up on, you know, film language, <laughs> <laughs> context clues, right. the little things. Right, right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thinking about Independence Day and sort of how it existed in the 90s, one of the things I was thinking about while watching your videos, you point out that like 
Independence is kind of like a cartoon mm-hmm. and just like its tone and how it treats things. And yeah, even when people are dying, they get little quips yeah. of like jokes before <laughs> they explode into flames. Yeah. And it's just, it's very safe. It's yeah. like, oh, it's fun yeah, that everyone's yeah. dying. It's okay. But also um, it's like, there's, there's absolutely no horror in watching these major cities get destroyed. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Although, fuck you, LA. Oh. I, I, I will, I will say actually though, that when I first saw it in theaters and just, having that experience of mm-hmm. that initial like annihilation oh, scene yeah it is pretty hardcore and the music cuts out and yeah it's just like like several shots in a row of just fireball yeah it goes things. like solid three or four minutes yeah with no it's, score. it's like pretty heavy yeah and it's awesome and fun but mm-hmm. i also don't see that very much anymore either like war of the worlds was a specific example of spielberg trying to do that almost like terrorism yeah well i think part of it is that it's overdone and Mm. you're not really allowed to be that thoughtless anymore i think that's sort of the problem within like Mm. independence day and i think also uh armageddon where you know you have the meteoroids going through the empire state building Mm -hmm. and we now know that's not what it looks like right. when a building collapses of that size. And, and that when that happens, people are dying on yeah, the inside. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and like that too, you know, and now the 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 aesthetic of destruction looks different. It looks, you know, there's all the ash now and like and I think mm-hmm. another example of a similar to Independence Day uh, would be uh, Man of Steel, where, right. um, but the problem there, of course, is that we, because we now know what mass destruction looks yeah. like, they use that really 9-11 imagery, but kind of thoughtlessly. And it was like, you could do that in the 90s, yeah. <laughs> but if you do it now, you're kind of making a statement. And then Man of Steel, the statement was what exactly exactly and um and and especially considering the tone of that movie was more similar to war of the worlds than it was to independence day um but then because like and then of course there was the pushback and like you know people didn't like this is kind of like i guess gauche (laughs) (laughs) and uh so then they you know with batman v superman tried to make it look like it was deliberate right woof we're still gonna (laughs) destroy everything but like it's been evacuated now yeah it's fine well and avengers did that too right yeah voltron like begins with like the montage of like people are mad because you like lifted up this whole city and dropped it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. well what i think is interesting is that as i was watching your video and thinking about this that it's like kind of affects the narratives themselves that can be told and i think alex you were mentioning this of like how well it handles all these characters uh and like you know, yeah the cast of thousands <laughs> right yeah and like i feel like there's a certain like i don't know how that could be handled today like i think that it's sort of this cartoony lighter thing lets yeah. us dip in for a little bit and have a kind of all right this is a fun moment with this character and it doesn't have to feel like real or serious in, right. in the same way that. Well, because I, I was watching it last night, and I was so surprised at how like fluid the first half of the movie feels up until like that initial attack scene. Um, just to juggle that many characters and to feel like whenever you jump to a certain character, you know, whether in L.A. or New York, it's kind of the right time to be in that city for like the bigger plot mm-hmm. point happening, and you're accomplishing the character development, and you're accomplishing this. And it just, it never feels like, oh, now we have to be here for a minute to yeah, like, meet yeah. this character. It's like just part of the story. Yeah. Because if yeah. you watch the uh, director's cut, um, it is bad. Like oh, it I is unfair. Oh. Like the, fa- the the first act is like, 
uh, 30% longer. And oh, it's wow. mostly the Randy Quaid subplot. Oh, and- good. <laughs> I remember this from like a long time ago yeah. when they first released it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a I, lot more Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah. And it just like, that kind of makes sense, but it's just like, he's gonna, like, the kid has like some sort of like autoimmune disorder. Right. Oh, yeah. we need to get his medication. And like that, they spend a lot more time with it. And like, I think, thank God, they, they kind of figured like, wait, this is the worst subplot. We need less of it. Because like the only point with Randy Quaid is that he kamikazes at the end. Like, mm-hmm. right. that's the only reason we need him here. Um, but there was a lot more setup, and I think it is like really a te- you know the power of editing that they like. Absolutely, it's like the the director's cut is like I wouldn't say it's unwatchable, but it is not good. And uh, you know that they figured out what to keep in and what works. I was just like I think I think Roland Emmerich is honestly kind of underrated as a director. <laughs> I agree because like you I, you remember really his impressed watching it again. Yeah, you I really was, and people remember his movies because you like look at like his sort of knockoffs people like his yeah. his co-producer dean devlin who directed geostorm uh-huh. oh. and i don't remember like i saw that in theaters and i don't remember a single frame of that movie <laughs> but you remember roland Emmerich's movies like they're they're extremely cartoony he like deals he loves dealing in stereotypes but mm-hmm. he you know he like as i think of day after tomorrow where um you know like you have the the guy from showgirls uh you know, everybody got AIDS and shit. Uh, <laughs> he plays a homeless man who, like, gets to know the rich boy from the Upper East Side because, like, climate change has taken everything yeah. away from both of us. And the homeless guy's <laughs> like, let me show you how to insulate using newspaper. Oh, and, right. Yeah, and, like, the rich boy. I just remember boy. the wolves and the, oh, running, the and the running away from yeah, the frost. Yeah, yeah. So you right. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> no, like... That was not a good movie, but I loved that movie. I watched President Dick Cheney's like, lot. thanks, Mexico. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Mexico, for letting us be the refugees. Right. Yes. I like that. That, that yeah. is something that works, this sort of lean into some stereotypes or like shorthand yeah, essentially yeah. for a character really works in Independence Day because the cast is so large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you absolutely can't develop the characters any farther. There are too many yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really respect that about Independence Day. Actually, it was a very deliberate choice. And you, if you look at uh, disaster movies from the 70s, which is sort of like the big heyday of disaster movies, like a movie like Airplane uh, has like mm-hmm. disaster movies in the 70s. It was so interesting. So you know, Michael did a video about Independence Day and he points out that there are so many characters in it. And then like in your video, you have this graphic of all of the like people's people. yeah, headshots yeah. lined up and then you put x's over mm-hmm. like who makes it and who like doesn't as though it's like a bingo card <laughs> like that was how disaster movie posters looked yeah, in the yeah. 70s mm-hmm. like, like the towering inferno exactly and yeah. they had all these characters which enables you to do two things it enables you to have a ton of different perspectives on the disaster so you can cut around and like really explore how it's affecting different people's lives and it also saves you from having to do any heavy character lifting like emotional development this is our like woman scorned this is our scientist (laughs) this is our kid like (laughs) this is our precocious child yeah it's just like you kind of instantly know who that is and like or like in Independence Day this is our stripper with a heart of gold Exactly. Yep. All right, although, because like, can I also just say, Independence Day passes the Bechdel Wallace test. Yes, it does. <laughs> and also has a great part for a woman of color in, yeah. the, in the in in the form of Vivica A. Fox, who you know puts around L.A. saving lives and finds the first lady, and right. then they and then there's that moment of like cla- interclass like understanding yeah. <laughs> where oh you dance ballet like no I'm a stripper <laughs> like, oh well I guess I respect that <laughs> sorry. 
Yeah. In strong contrast to War of the Worlds, where there are three, yep. characters, <laughs> three characters, and then you're expected to do all of this like emotional labor with them working their way through all of their stuff to the movie's detriment. Mm-hmm. Well, which is why it's so disappointing when mm-hmm. the movie doesn't pay off any yeah, of that. Yeah. I mean, that's what you nailed so well in your video essay about War of the Worlds was that just weird sinking feeling that mm-hmm. I felt as the movie was getting to the- Robbie! Yeah, the- Robbie, oh, come oh, back! Boy. I just like, like what, like- Robbie, what is- we ha- we gotta pay off this this subplot, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, it was just really s- strange because the movie is so strong in the beginning and like, how did this happen? I don't know. Yeah, like as we were rewatching it, my co-writer who had not um, seen it since 2005, she was like, through the first half, she was like, I genuinely did not remember how good this was. I'm kind mm-hmm. of confused. And <laughs> like, cause I, I, like I, I'm, to my memory, this movie is really mediocre. And then it starts to, d- you know, devolve, right. dissolve in the second half. And she's like, oh, that's why. Because people, you know... I you know, like a really good first half doesn't really mean anything if you leave the theater feeling dissatisfied. And the thing with War of the Worlds, like you mentioned, is it is fundamentally a character study. Yeah. Like we don't, like the aliens don't really matter. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we never know what their deal is, which I do like, but like it is a huge contrast to Independence Day, which is definitely not a character study. And it is just very fundamentally about like, okay, how do we unite to solve the problem? And as opposed to War of the Worlds, which is a survival narrative, like in the vein of Hunger Games, um, you know, which is fine, but it definitely needs, uh, you know, a payoff or else why bother making it a character study? Right, right. right. And as you point out, the big problem, I think, is with I mean, all of the characters really don't have any sort of satisfying arc, but especially Robbie mm-hmm. and then also Dakota and Rachel, Fanny's. Yeah, yeah Dakota <laughs> Fanny's character, Rachel, is like, they actually set her up to be really interesting. Yeah. And then they do nothing with her. I wonder if it was like that was deliberate. Like, no, we got we don't want to make it the cliche of the strong, independent, precocious child. And it's just like, but why not? Like, right. she's 10. 10-year-olds right. can defend themselves. And, like, that's, <laughs> and that's very Spielbergian. And that's one thing mm-hmm. he does really well is tell narratives about children yeah. that are assertive and mature. Yeah, and you contrast that with like Jurassic Park where exactly. he does yes. trust the children yeah. to be able, like she knows how to use a computer in the way that the adults don't because like he kind of understands that she is of this up and coming generation that is trained on technology, yeah. um, even though it's 1992. <laughs> um, and it's also not a Unix system. Yeah. <laughs> I know this. Can we just like just have a moment for Jurassic Park? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think we all love it equally. Oh, it's so just like silence. <laughs> and anyway, War of the Worlds is disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think part of that was because like Spielberg did say. Um, about Close Encounters, uh, that he eventually kind of went on to regret the way he, uh, maybe not regret, but basically say, like, if I made that now, now being like 2005, I would not have it have the ending it did because it's mm. basically about a man abandoning his, <laughs> his family, family. Yep. Yeah. and it being totes cool because he's <laughs> abandoning it for something pretty sweet. <laughs> and, um, like, he, that sort of Ray was intended to be something of, re- of a refutation of this idea, like, mm-hmm. in the face of, like, a threat that this father needs to step up. But the problem is, like... And another thing about War of the Worlds, which a lot of people... Tend, or it tends to get lost in the discussion is that it, it was made very, very quickly. Like, right, uh, I remember that. Yeah. I was wondering. The yeah, screenplay like 
like I like the screenplay had been kind of tossed around for a while, but I don't think they really gave themselves the time to fix it on a screenplay level because the film was shot in like this two month period that Spielberg and Cruz kind of both had like some availability. So then that was like uh, November, December of 04. And the film was released in like July of 05. Right. So it was like it pretty was fast. Turnaround. I remember it was really, like really an quickly. insanely fast production for the scale. Mm-hmm. Like it was unheard of kind of. Um, yeah, because yeah. they shot that uh, the Bayonne Bridge blowing up scene like um, two or three, maybe maybe a month before it was supposed to air that Super Bowl spot. And that effect shot pretty much only exists because of the Super Bowl spot. Hmm, that's funny. It's almost as though when you rush through making movies, something gets lost in the process. Yeah. And it's a shame, too, because there's so many great practical effects in the first half of that movie. Yeah. Well, and and going back to what you guys were saying about, you know, the the child character, you know, you had Dakota Fanning. Like, yeah. she's so good. Like, I'm, I remember watching that and being like, this child is like mm-hmm. the best actress I've ever seen. Like, she's so great. And like the, the long take with them in the car moving mm-hmm. in and out, like... Yeah, oh, yeah, it has so much going for it. And so it's so, mm-hmm. there's so much disappointment when it peters out. Yeah. Well, was... And for a Spielberg movie, because usually yeah. he does treat kids with such respect and mm-hmm. give them such meaty roles. And yeah, for the, for both the children's stories to peter out the way they do is very strange for a Spielberg movie, actually. I was joking on Twitter. Like, I wanted someone to write, like, a fanfic of Rachel, like, befriending one of the tripods, like, one of the surviving <laughs> tripods. And someone E.T. did. <laughs> and it was great. I, yeah, I was like, I, sh- I should have responded because they, like, sent me, like, hey, you know, I was bored, so I did it. And I was like, I should have, yeah. It was on AO3. It was like, yeah, someone did it. Thank nice. you for giving Rachel something to do. Yeah. Well, speaking of the aliens, I, I loved the way you, in your video you kept showing that one shot of them like hitting the bicycle <laughs> wheel. <laughs> and people were like, that's a, that's an homage to H2O World. I know. <laughs> it's still goofy. Yeah, right? just like, yeah, just they're just the Independence Day aliens inside of the suits. Yeah. And just, yeah, how, how weird of a letdown that is. Like, aw, yeah. I think of like the Mystery Science Theater quote, like, it's a cutosaurus. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, such a letdown. The I think little it's little mouths. But yeah. it's also, it's interesting because you see creature design. And that was one thing I kind of like toned down in this revised essay on these two films is um, – as I kind of split that off, I did a I did a video a couple two or three years ago about um, creature design specifically with aliens and um, how why aliens all kind to tend to look kind of samey. Mm-hmm. Um, when in you know theory you could do anything right, right. but I, that is also again uh, a form of shorthand because. Yeah. For whatever reason, we as a species have more or less agreed on what, you know, <laughs> like, right? Exactly. So you got these big eyes and a big head and either gray or splotchy green skin and <laughs> like always big eyes. And so it's like, you know, there are these interesting signifiers with like, you know, the, you know, the big eyes kind of denote like mystery and also intelligence. Same with like the big head. Mm-hmm. And then like mm-hmm. the small stature kind of has to like impart some vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um and so whenever there's like a deviation from that, I find it really interesting, like uh, Arrival yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, um, District 9. Um, and, you know, because because th- the thing is, like, the way you design your creature is another way to impart information to the audience. Right. The longer the audience has to kind of get used to it and kind of incorporate it into their mental universe. So right. it makes sense. 
the Spielberg made his aliens look really basic, <laughs> and the right. only non-basic thing about them was that they are three-limbed instead of two, which no one really noticed because the scene's so dark and anyway. right, right, <laughs> you can't right. really see it. Um, but uh, at, you know, it's, it's like it's just uh, we didn't need it. We could have just kissed stick with the tripods. I love the design of the tripods, right? Which is which is much more horrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite creature designs ever. Is the tripod? I agree, um, and I. One thing about Independence Day, I think, that really works about the creature design is those, like, biomechanical suits Mm -hmm. that they put them in. Mm -hmm. Because that is something that we don't automatically think of. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... Naked aliens. Yeah. (laughs) Why are they always naked? Obviously, aliens would always be naked in our brains. Because we're the only Aliens don't wear clothes. (laughs) What, are they going to wear, like, a jacket? So it's a really cool idea that that would be, of course, a part of their technology. Do you know the story behind that? I know that they wanted to make... They wanted to prevent it from looking like a man in a suit, essentially. Well, it was it was basically two designs. Oh, okay. Yeah, because cool. basically the designer came to Roland with this uh, much more kind of conventional Roswell alien-looking guy, and this uh, other one that was kind of much more inspired by like the Geiger xenomorph. And right. Roland loved them both so much, he's like, "Let's use both." And one will be the biomechanical suit, which holds the other one, which also solves that logic question right. of why are they naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think it, it makes for a really fun twist on the autopsy scene. You oh, know? yeah. Where it's like, I, I loved how that movie just does all the alien things. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. Area 51. We have literally an alien yeah. autopsy. It has, yeah, yeah, the fact that it has, uh, like, just, it, it's so gleeful with it. And it's so nonsensical. Because yes. I feel like the thing about, like, tropes like that is they tend to, like, especially now, be like, winky, winky, look at the camera and be like, we know how cliche this is, you know. And, but, like, in that one, it's just, like, played dead straight. Uh-huh. And that just owns it. Yeah, part yeah. of the, part yeah. of the joy in it. And, uh, and the fact that, like, the film itself kind of takes it really seriously. Even though like the characters like Doctor Oakend is you know this eccentric, <laughs> Brent you know, Spiner, yeah, yeah. Brent yeah. Spiner living Dana. his best best life, yeah, you know? totally. He just was having so much fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even in the sequel, like and like, <laughs> it makes no sense yeah, that no, he's yeah. in the sequel. Yeah, it's he's still like really the main me. character. Yeah. In the yeah. There's definitely a beat establishing he's definitely dead. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he's fine. <laughs> well, but he's just in a coma. He's fine. But the design of the movie, I think, also really makes all of that effective like the design of the area 51 like underground sets are super cool um and and all of the like models that they built i think you know we are used to seeing absolutely everything cgi right now and so the fact that like when you see those scenes with the alien um pl- like craft flying everywhere it's like yeah. it's all models it and really it's all, holds like, practical up effects. yeah, yeah. yeah. Surprised it's, design by, for it. it's pretty amazing how well like most of the effects held up for me watching it yeah some of them you could tell, yeah. but yeah, well, especially, yeah the, the the destruction scenes, like exactly. The like, I just, honestly, it looks so much better than the stuff you see now. Yeah, like, the kind of gooey buildings. Yeah, you yeah, know. the shiny, like yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. When so they blow, they blew all that up. It was like they built a twelve foot model of the White House or whatever, and then they filled blew it full it. of yeah. explosive charges and blew it up, and yeah. that's how it looks, and it's awesome. Well, one of my favorite shots during the destruction scene is uh, like. 
the, the guy who was like filing things in the yeah, building in, the down, building, right? in downtown LA. Building. He's like, Ooh, I gotta get this filing done real quick. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, priorities, buddy. <laughs> like, the president said to evacuate. Yeah. But you're well, I mean, filing. also Vivica A. Fox's character. Like, so, sure, yeah. okay, so Will Smith and, and, and uh, Jasmine <laughs> live in Glendale. Yep. I know this because <laughs> I had someone, I was like, someone find this. And then, like, someone on Twitter found it. It was the like, street. Wow. Yeah, the That's street. Awesome. Where it's like, oh where God. in LA are you like on a mountain that you can see downtown LA mm-hmm. right. that it's far enough away that there's like I a- love that they live in Glendale. Yeah. That makes so, me so they happy. live in Glendale. She works downtown at a you know because and as you know downtown they don't do full nude they only do topless. They don't have that five foot ra- five foot uh, distance from the uh, patrons. So mm-hmm. she goes downtown and says, "I just came to get my paycheck and I got talked into working." <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the thing that really yeah struck me watching it again was like wait you really thought it was an okay night to work the yeah. night when Will Smith is like leave and come visit me on the base to be safe yep yeah. I'll get one more shift in yeah I'll just get, get, a, get a quick shift in so yeah. I can get some get some spending cash <laughs> get some change yeah. for the road because like El Toro is not far away for, it's in Orange County yeah. so it's like it wasn't like a journey into the Mojave it was like it was like you know an hour with traffic what? and uh, <laughs> just one thing that you were saying that that reminds me of it is like the scale you were talking about the scale of the spacecraft in mm-hmm. in, in Independence video. Day mm-hmm. and how amazing it is that you have these 15 mile wide mm-hmm. things that fill the entire sky that like help to in- incredibly raise the stakes, just make you full of awe and terror. MovieNitpicks.com yeah. is the way like, shot. <laughs> <laughs> there's, really there's no way a thing with that mask could ever stay that far above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like the way they're introduced or even like the biomechanical suits, like I feel like all the parts that are, you know, kind of goofy if you think about them too much, the, the build up to them and the filmmaking mm-hmm. is so like fun and it's very ominous and it's slow and it takes yeah. the time so that by the time it happens you're like all about it yeah I, I really like that about yeah yeah i i really i i miss that because i yeah. feel like we you know you're seeing fewer and fewer movies that like are kind of really out there premises but don't own it i think that's mm-hmm. like because i think most of you know the decisions i've made in my adult life are s- more or less a direct result of my frustration with michael bay's transformers films. <laughs> um because i think more about that yeah <laughs> transformers is 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 one of those movies that is just so ashamed of its own conceit right and it can't get mm. over it and it's just like negging itself mm-hmm. and it only gets worse as the movies go and it's sort of like the anti-independence day in that way which is ironic because it steals so much from independence day mm-hmm. in a way that is not there in like transformers lore before the movies came out like right. there was no megatron under the hoover dam there was no sector seven there was no like secret like we got all our technology from the transformers like that was all completely ripped from independence day mm-hmm. Michael Bay. Well, it wasn't Michael Bay. It was Bob Orkey, who is a weird truther. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's a weird 9-11 truther. So I think he's one of those guys that writes conspiracy theories because he believes it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, that because I mean, like, as 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 fascinated and in a weird way fond as I am of the Transformers movies, I, they're also like the very embodiment of that problem of how we can't like because people like you know like that's yeah. why people liked Thor Ragnarok so much is it is right. absurd, but it leans into it and it's right. never ashamed of its own absurdity. It just has yeah. fun with it. Well, and I feel like that's that is another kind of that remnant of like the nine eleven cynicalness of like yeah. You know, our Batman got super dark, like you point out in the video. And like, it seems like if something isn't cynical, like it has to be apologizing for the fact that it's like, you know, happy <laughs> or like yeah, just yeah. simple right. and straightforward. Or if not even gleeful believes in its own logic and doesn't feel the exactly. need to step outside of itself. Because I like, because I, I, the reason I, you know, do so much stuff with Transformers is because I really like Transformers. Mm-hmm. The franchise, and mm-hmm. I think like it's 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 really disappointing to see those movies made by because I'm like oh thank God Bumblebee happened and just it's just kind of a shame that people didn't really see it mm-hmm. uh, because like Bumblebee as a movie was just like just happy to be here and <laughs> like doesn't is never like there's no cynical you know bone or you know robot piece in its body it's just like it's kind of the anti-bay in that way is it's just there's no cynicism at all and it's just like such a relief after just like five movies of pure hate yeah. and contempt <laughs> yeah. from for their audience like and, and, and I think we're finally rounding that corner it took us almost 20 yes. years yeah. like, I think we've been movie, here longer you know, than I expected yeah yeah like like movies like Thor that did really well and um Spider Spider Verse, yeah, Spider Verse, uh, you know, yeah. so good, yeah, Bumblebee, like that. We can finally like allow ourselves to have movies that are you know, do require a lot of su- suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you know, you trust your audience to go along with it without having to lean into that cynicism that you know has just been the the background noise of filmmaking for so long. Yeah, yeah. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think a big part of it in Independence Day that makes it work is Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, like, because a lot of the, like, most, um, you know, on the nose kind of just, I don't know, hilarity, slapsticky, like, those mm-hmm. quips and things. Yeah. They're all he Will Smith. He punches that alien in the in head. The face. <laughs> Without a And pause. he was, like, he was such a, like, personal hero of mine after yeah. this movie where I was uh-huh. like, I want to be Will Smith. Like, I, he's so cool. I think he, and yeah, he his... was my first crush. <laughs> well, when he's got the uh, the tank top in the desert oh, dragging uh-huh. the alien. Right? Yeah. Oh, no, then, honestly, like, it was Men in time. Black, which is another, you know, thing that infected my brain forever. Like... <laughs> that one came with a song. Yeah. Because that was the other reason That's he true. was my he hero. He was so cool. It's because, like, yeah. NYPD right? means I will knock yo punk ass down. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, in his rap, he was also, like, clean and just like, mm-hmm. we're just here to have fun. Like, yeah. it's not gangster rap. Like, yeah, we're yeah. not going to swear. Like, fun, happy. And I was like, straight edge yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Straight well, edge Michael. Because he had to. on board with this to get out of rap while that was the case and then late 90s happened he's like ah i can (laughs) (laughs) finally i can be me again yeah oh yeah there's like he had a thing on his youtube channel about why he turned down the matrix i saw something about that yeah Yeah. he was just like yeah and then i made wild wild west not proud of it but it happened (laughs) 
He acknowledges that in one of the verses on Willennium, which is the follow-up to Big Willie's Bell. I'm sure everyone knows his discography as well as I yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I did an episode on Will Smith's rap career a few years ago. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, I need to watch that. Yeah, it's, it's not online right now. I think I need to put it up on my second channel. I'm just really lazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, Will Smith is... is That movie would not... No. I mean, who, yeah. who, like, who was... I think it was like Val Kilmer or something was the oh, studio's yeah. first choice. Oh. They didn't oh. want Will Smith. Well, yeah, they wanted a white guy yeah um yeah. it is yeah pretty remarkable that 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 he has such a big role mm-hmm. in well because he really had and, only done yeah. fresh prince, prince basically yeah. and roland yeah. said that like and i, I do no actually I, I do believe roland because he said he had the fight to, to fight mm-hmm. the studio to get black man as effectively the main protagonist and that was like a battle that he had to wage because like there was no real like name names like jeff goldblum is the biggest name in the movie mm-hmm. um and so it was like you could, you could get away with it being an up-and-comer that's great then we don't have to pay him as much right but but uh, like that, you know, I, I believe him that it was a battle because like, you know, that was back when, I don't know, who, who was the, the, the guy? <laughs> who was the guy, the guy in 1996? The Val Kilmer. Yeah. yeah, somebody like that. God, can you imagine no one? Val Kilmer and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, that whoa. would not have been no. yeah. nearly as fun. Well, because you, you know, like when they, when the studio sees this part, they're thinking like it's going to be like some square jawed, like straight yep. edge, yeah. not Boring. like joyless because like that's the thing that exactly. really, really makes the movie work is because he's like, you know, making jokes all the time he's like bugs bunny and like you know <laughs> basically yeah like just like literally his best friends just died and he's like flying his jet through the grand canyon yeah. which is another thing where i'm like okay Wait, how do they get there yeah so <laughs> I, you know it's like one of those things where i'm like yeah so i'm movie nitpicks.coming uh where i was like hmm could and okay so let's ignore the <laughs> fact that he's being chased the whole 500 miles from downtown LA yep. yeah. <laughs> to the Grand Canyon yeah could he uh make it and the answer is yes the those those jets do have enough fuel to um <laughs> how long would it take do you know probably I mean, it's only like, it's like an hour and a half, half, an hour. half yeah. yeah jets are fast yeah yeah I think it'd probably take him about half an hour so just half an hour like bobbing and weaving <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, like with amazing. the green shit being shot yeah but he also Flew over Area 51 in Nevada before he was shot down. It's kind of in the yeah. I mean, it's just like yeah, because like Area 51. Oh right, because you're kind of like going over Nevada. <laughs> Not first. that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would know, but it wouldn't be like that out of the way because sure. Area 51 is quite large and is is kind of on the way to Vegas. <laughs> like yeah. like if you just kind of like do a slight northern detour, because yeah, it's like a full. Because like most of Nevada is owned by the government. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like blow up yeah. nuclear bombs. Area, there. Area That's what we do in Nevada. That yeah. was also why the U.S. government. Because like um, it's kind of like a false uh, assumption. Because uh, you know, as you know, the Department of Defense does a lot of subsidies for a lot of movies. Captain Marvel being the most recent. Oh really? I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Big, that that was a biggie. Um, Man of Steel was another biggie. Um, Independence Day got uh, shot down uh, <laughs> because <laughs> the government did not like the Area 51 stuff. They mm-hmm. were like, Makes take sense. that out or you make it a fake. And Roland was like, I will not. <laughs> or no, he's, I will not. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was, I mean, it's fine. I I, I think like the, the problem with movies that accept uh, DOD money is you can kind of tell. Yeah. There's always like this sort of propagandistic flavor to them. And, and Michael uh, Bay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, like, it's pretty exactly. blatant it's so Bay in your face. Like, oh, here's the God. slow-mo shot of the soldiers walking out of the smoke with the American flag. The sun yeah. behind and it. And there's this, this dissonance there, which I guess you see with a lot of, uh, you know, certain sects of the 
America, but uh, where where this idea of like soldier good, government bad, mm. and mm. Uh, you know Transformers is another one of those movies that can't decide if the deep state is bad or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> where you have Sector Seven, and you kind of have this lovable buffoon in the form of John Turturro's character, okay. uh, Agent <laughs> Simmons, um, <sighs> and, uh, and, and 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 like that he teams up with the Secretary of Defense at the end, and Anthony Anderson, and they're like you like hold up in the Hoover Dam and uh, like fighting the tiny robot like uh, (laughs) and and that's the end of their storyline it's like well I guess we're friends now even though John Turturro totally sexually assaulted uh, Megan Fox but yeah okay (laughs) those are the weirdest movies like what is it the second one where he's at the pyramids and it's a bunch of like ball jokes beneath the enemy's scrotum yeah it's gonna be the sequel to the whole play if you don't watch it I have a series dedicated to film theory using only the Transformers movies. It's called The Whole Plate. <laughs> well, so uh, really quick, I'm curious to kind of hear about your process. So mm-hmm. so yeah, how do you decide what you want to talk about when you're analyzing films? Uh, yeah, what is your methodology? Are you looking for something specific? Or are you just taking it in? Yeah, I have a co-writer and uh, we um, spitball a lot, I guess, because <laughs> I'll usually, you know, some. she's on maternity leave right now, but... Um, what we will do is uh, kind of have like a weekly meeting and run through ideas because it'll usually take us like between six weeks and several months to, uh, you know, actually develop something. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually we'll kind of figure out like, well, here is a thing and here is a take. Um, and it's, it, you know, in in the ecosystem of hot takes, it's kind of hard to find an angle that hasn't been done to death, which is why I will never, ever, ever talk about Star Wars again. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. uh, <laughs> but as, for, as a, for instance, like people kept asking me to do The Hobbit. And uh, I was for the longest time, I didn't want to touch it because I was just like, well, what's like because like Sage uh, Hayden, who does um, uh, uh, Just, Just Right yeah. with a W, um, he like did a really, to, to my mind, pretty cohesive uh, takedown of The Hobbit like right after the third one came out. And I was like, yeah, I, don't, I don't really have anything to add to that. Um, and then when I started doing research, I found that like Warner Brothers changed the law of New Zealand to its benefit in a way that is still... Um, affecting the film industry and it like blew my mind that that was not common knowledge like even among entertainment journalists mm-hmm. so like that exploring that angle and kind of growing out from there was where we started with that and it tends like I guess it's always different like sometimes it'll be like based on a book like with uh, the thing we did about road shows and musicals or sometimes it'll be like I just watched How to Cake It Too Much <laughs> while high. And, and like, you know, when you're high, you start to, like, the, the facade starts to drop and you're yes. just yeah. like, yeah. she's just, they scripted this. Yeah. She, like, she doesn't, she doesn't really care. She doesn't think this is funny. She's, that's a pretend laugh. And so, like, from, from there, I start, you know, started to, like, devolve into all this, like, research about, like, emotional labor and stuff like that. Um, so, I don't know, it really depends it's always different um because like bright was the or the episode we did about bright was the quickest one i have done in a very long time we did that in about two weeks start to finish wow because i hated it so much yep. <laughs> it was just it's a good motivator dragon sometimes. energy of hate but generally it'll take <laughs> i'd say on average six to eight weeks but sometimes longer and so how much of that is yeah is the research how much do you spend time do you spend on the actual script do you do multiple revisions I, of that? most of it is research yeah like mm-hmm. the, the, the death of the author one i would say is the one that got like 
torn down and started over the most. Because mm-hmm. um, I like I generally we have like a two week edit, um, depending. Uh, that that one was longer. The uh, manufacturing and authenticity was the longest um, that I've done, and that was like three or four weeks mm-hmm. in in the editing. Um, because it, like putting the sections together. I mean, that that was a really impressive editing job. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm an editor oh, day you. job. <laughs> that, I just love the way you cut together you know, the cake it. <laughs> all the different cake. Yeah. It, it 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 was doing the thing. It made me feel high. Like <laughs> the weirdness of seeing all those things back to back to back. It it, it was very effective. Yeah, it was. It, yeah. The hard one with that was doing them in in sections and figuring out how, how to order the sections in a way right. that made sense. Mm-hmm. Because like we were using nested files and um <laughs> like yeah. which is something I don't normally do. Not nested files. Nested sequences in Premiere. Yeah, the death of the author one because we we originally came in with the take that um. Death of the author is bad and stupid, and no one should adhere to it. And eventually, we kind of became a little more centristy with just this idea that, like, is a pure theory. It's not very useful, but it's it can be a useful approach in a certain way, um, which is a little wishy washy. But that's kind of like where it ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because I think the thing about research is like we'll come in with like an idea of what we think it's going to be, but a lot of times it will change. Like even with mm-hmm. War of the Worlds, was yeah. um, just doing the research on invasion literature from the 1870s was new information to me. I did not know that alien invasion narratives really only exist because Britain was afraid of Germany in the 1870s, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And so so once you ha- have all the research, like, do you do lots of feedback with the drafts of your script? Is it sort of just you and your co-writer? It's, yeah, it's like me and my co-writer. And it's generally just a living document where it's mm-hmm. just like we're just in a constant state of like futzing with it. Yeah, it's just it, it, it's, it's a, I guess it's pretty active. I'd say it's like at this point it's generally pure 50-50. Sometimes she does head writing. Like um Hunchback of Notre Dame was the first one that she was a head writer on because she's you know, an art history major, so that was like, <laughs> something she'd been thinking about a lot. Yeah. Uh because I'm a nerd, but like what app do you write in? Google Docs. Cool. <laughs> okay. You may not. You may have heard of it. Uh, Google has. Uh... It's, it's still the best one, I think, for collaborative writing because mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. real time. Yeah. And it's just so easy. Yeah, exactly. It's just not really beautiful to look at, but yeah. mm-hmm. but it's just so easy. Is it? Well, I mean, because I, I was uh, seeing in a, a, a mutual Slack the other day that people um, actually like put time codes in their scripts uh, for oh. for what they want the clip to be. And I'm like, good Lord, that sounds so time consuming. <laughs> and also, I don't know, like, cause it, to me, it tends to be like in the moment whenever you have like a voiceover, it's like that, that is when you, you think of what the correct clip there. is not in the writing phase, but I, that's just me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless it's a, in the LTS scripts, unless it's an actual clip that's like being called out, that's going to have like the script alongside it on screen. We don't, we don't, decide what the b-roll is until we're in the yeah. edit mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay I, I mean we do do that sometimes where it'll be like i will be referring to a thing and i need to notate what the thing is but right. other than that we don't we don't generally do that yeah i mean that's it's impressive even just hearing that it you know the only two weeks for the manufacturing authenticity because because mm-hmm. they're they are like they're like a full episode you know they're mm-hmm. a half hour or more sometimes mm-hmm. they're they're very in-depth but they they're very enjoyable. Well, that one was made in a fugue like... of fugue of panic. <laughs> like, uh, I uh, like I got some. I was like having a really hard time that that when we actually did the shoot where I'm like in the black and white stuff in the mm-hmm. academic. Um, that was a bad day for. Um, 
uh, unrelated reasons. Uh, but like, so, but whenever I got there, like I didn't realize that the studio I had rented was a photo studio, was not designed for oh. sound. And um, on top of that, the DP I hired did not clean the lens. And um, no. even though I gave him the lens and said, this is dirty, please clean it. I said it with my words. <laughs> and um, like the teleprompter wasn't working and um, like the makeup artist I was not terribly thrilled with. And so a lot of the footage was out of focus. So it looked like sock soft focus so like as i like the like the next uh following monday as we were having like our weekly meeting i was just like i don't know what to do because like that you know like sort of academic backdrop was originally supposed to be like sort of like a crash course style parody it was supposed mm -hmm. to look really crisp <laughs> and uh angie my you know my my co-writer she also my co-editor was like well, we just got these red giant filters. I'm going to play with this. And then she, like, a few days later was like, okay, I, I think I figured it out. There's this music I found on Epidemic Sound that's, like, you know, 90s Casio keyboard music. <laughs> and so that was, like, sort of the very embodiment of saved in the edit. Because, mm -hmm. uh, like, because the Hank stuff was what we filmed first, uh, mm -hmm. or what I filmed first, was this, because, you know, we I wanted there to be, like, different layers of authenticity, like, stuff that felt really natural and stuff that felt really constructed and sort of, like, going back and forth between these levels of like my normal setup which is sort of like mid-level constructed and then the conversation with Hank which is intended to be like the least constructed feeling and then mm -hmm. you have like the Sylvia Platt backdrop which is like mm -hmm. the most constructed but that yeah that was very very saved in the edit because it yeah but like thank, thank god we had those filters because if it didn't because i was also supposed to premiere that in front of an audience oh really yeah what was the audience? xoxo festival mm. uh up in portland it was you know it's like a thousand people which i'd never done before wow. yeah. um and uh so that that was uh yeah, part of why I was like, ah, because <laughs> the fugue state of like uh, actually like getting the things in order and making it make sense. Because that was we worked harder on that one than we have. I, I probably any of them, uh, just in terms of the edit, mm -hmm. to say nothing of the writing. I mean, I was going to say just hearing that uh, you know the intentionality you put into you know different levels of construction in the actual you know video you're making. Mm -hmm. I, I that's the you know, I I watched your Hobbit videos first, as I imagine a lot of people. Mm -hmm get into you through the hobbit yeah. trilogy your trilogy uh, yeah my trilogy yeah and, part um, two of three and that, what was what was what blew me away about them was that you you kind of come expecting oh like a good hobbit takedown but the amount of effort and thoughtfulness and how epic it gets and you literally go to new zealand and it just keeps getting bigger and more complex and but always enjoyable i, I, I think your channel is very unique in that way i don't know of many other channels that have that epic yet very like intelligent critical quality so yeah whatever you, whatever you're doing it's it's really unique and interesting yeah we i think the thing is we we, we try not to get because i think it's it's really easy on youtube because youtube rewards him homogeneity and right. uh it's it's really easy to fall into that and i i i, I don't i just uh, <laughs> yeah. I, w I i couldn't do it if we if we you know did if it did kind of fall into like the same thing every time so i think it's important to stay interested by keeping experimenting well and your your videos are engaging with film on a meta level and so for your channel to also operate somewhat on a meta level is kind of the only thing that makes sense or it i think it is really unique as alex pointed out just now but also 
really smart because the people who are watching and learning from you are also thinking about all of these things that you are specifically then addressing. Um, so like in that video about manufacturing authenticity, that is something, a conversation about that is probably sort of inherently already happening among people that watch your channel about like, how real is any of this? How real is YouTube? It's not real at all. We sort of understand that. That conversation is already going on. And so then by, you know, directly addressing it and inserting like your voice into that conversation that you're already a part of is what is really effective. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, one of the things that I'm drawn to about film criticism is getting to engage film on that level, um, which is not something that our channel really does. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's also like it yeah. depends on if the channel is like personality driven exactly. or idea right. driven, which I think is more yours. Because I think it, like I didn't intend for that to be the way my channel was going to go it just kind of ended up that way because you know again what youtube rewards is like you know sort of a name and a brand and a personality and it's it is odd like the 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 more the bigger your reach gets the more you kind of think of yourselves in terms of like there's 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 two you's there's the you that mm -hmm. you live and then there's the you that you show on like twitter and youtube and and i just got an instagram and i'm like <sighs> figure out how to use that so and, many platforms you know just like you yeah. know and just like even like on twitter like um you know, thinking like, oh, should I capitalize the letters in this tweet, you know, <laughs> or, you know, just the fact that my, you know, avatar is John Turturro getting peed on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just like these these are all little signifiers. And it's like there's a genuineness to it. But it is at the end of the day, like it, packaging. Yeah. Such Decisions are being made. Constructed. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't realize they do it. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, as someone just appears at the very end of my videos that I even that was very stressful at the beginning. Um, and just, yeah, figuring out what is the personality that I'm putting hey forward. Good guy, Michael. Yeah, should, should, we get, should we give the, the audience a name? Like, right. mm -hmm. Logang? Right. Yeah. I remember, like, spending too much Listeners. time hearing that, that piece of advice at VidCon of, like, yeah, like, you should have, like, a nickname for your audience. Like, hey, uh, Vsauce. Like, Vsauce uh, is, like, the name of my audience. Uh, and so, like, I That'll spent, be like, a yikes for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> It's like one yikes. Spent five please. minutes like lessons from the screenplay screeners. I don't like any of this. Yeah. yeah. So it, it adds that video just really, you know, spoke to me as someone that operates on YouTube and yeah. it's, well, it's it's kind of insidious because it is encouraging like the sort of parasocial relationship where it's like whenever you name your audience and the audience identifies especially especially young people because yeah. i think right. that's why like our audience skews older so it doesn't really work in the same way that it would for like low gang or um right. you know uh i don't think how to cake it does have uh <laughs> i don't think she i don't think she has a like hey cakers, cakers. yeah which is, which is surprising <laughs> because she has so so many like community things and website things and sign up for this special thing but they don't have a i mean i think i i, I honestly find channels that do that kind of unbearable like one of my favorite channels exhausting. is the ask a mortician and she quit doing that like, thank mm -hmm. god <laughs> they used to be deathlings oh awesome cool well so uh before we wrap up uh why don't we go around and talk about what we've all been watching this last week uh trisha would you like to go first Sure. I would love to. Actually, yesterday, I... So, if you guys haven't seen Cold War, uh, which came out... I really want to. Oh, my gosh. It's beautiful. Uh, so, I'm, I wrote down the name and how I'm supposed to say it. Pavel Pavlikowski? 
I'm going to stay with that. Cool. Uh, he's a Polish filmmaker. He directed Cold War, which was nominated for several Oscars. Uh, we just, you know, we're here in March in 2019. We just got through the Oscar ceremony. And one of the biggest surprises is that this filmmaker was nominated for Best Director, which is astounding. It doesn't happen very much in the Academy Awards. So Cold War is absolutely gorgeous. It's black and white. If you haven't seen it, absolutely check it out. It's really beautifully done. As many people have said, it is an epic love story, but it's only like 97 minutes long and it it feels the scale of it. It's just enormous and it's music and it's gorgeous. And so I went back and I watched one of his earlier movies last night called My Summer of Love from 2004. And it stars very young Emily Blunt. Pre- yeah. Oh, I've heard of this movie. Yeah. yeah pre-Devil Wears Prada, and it's a lovely little movie. I mean, it's not perfect or anything, but it's a really uh, sweet little character study. It's a good, like, coming of age, sort of, for these, like, young girls in England in the summer, and they're bored and, and all that kind of stuff. So My Summer of Love, you can check it out. It's on your Hoopla app. <laughs> on your which you probably hopefully it's like you have the public libraries right it's the public library yeah. app use it all the time on your plex so you can check it out on your hoopla <laughs> nice. awesome cool alex it's funny i think earlier in this podcast Lindsay mentioned mad max free free road and mm-hmm. I, I just got it on 4k blu-ray um oh, i keep meaning to get every time and, i go to best buy it's not there oh, mm-hmm. it looks so good 4k <laughs> hdr everything yeah need, um, i need to get in on that and yeah th- it's been chatted about amongst this group a little bit like on our slack channel i feel like mm-hmm. half of the lts team is kind of like oh yeah overrated and eh, whatever excuse me what no no not from our <laughs> all right I'm i, well, like, I know i'm saying, but but <laughs> <Thank> our <laughs> but our side over here me and trisha she was like I think it's excellent. Yeah, like, you don't like yeah. E.T. and think Mad Max is over. Good, good. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Sorry to have you. I, don't, I, don't, I would say I don't think it's overrated. I would canceled. well actually actually overrated <gasps> is probably fine. Can- it's not it's not a favorite of mine. Canceled. Anyway, I don't know. I maybe need to see it again. I don't maybe you've seen it or twice already. But anyway, I just watching it again, I was just so I I know, just seeing it in the right format, really mm-hmm. loud on my surround sound. With a beautiful like Dolby Vision version, it's just pure cinematic joy for me. And especially, I think when I saw it like in theaters, maybe I was a little tired or something. But like by the finale, I was a little fatigued. Um, and so I remember like the first half just being so amazing and being a little fatigued by the end. But this time around, I was not fatigued. And the just the finale does everything you want. Like it, yeah, it just everything happens and it all gets to the worst place. And Charlie Theron is stabbed and like. It just does that operatic everything you want from this movie thing. Yeah. And when a movie does that for me, I'm just so happy. Okay, I felt the same way the first time I saw it. Like, and I think I saw it like six times in theaters. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like it definitely is like it, it, it improves on rewatch because like you, you feel less fatigued, so you're able to appreciate. <laughs> yeah, it. I, I was literally just I think just worn out by the time it got to the finale car chase. Um, the first couple times I saw it, but this time I just appreciated it for what it was and. It's almost like it's better to watch in isolation, just like that final scene. Maybe I should watch because I think I saw it in the the Chinese theater also, so it was like really loud oh, yeah. and just like oh, it was a very uncomfortable experience. Yeah. yeah, so I'll I'll have to watch it. Maybe we just like, watch like a scene or two in isolation, yeah. just for the cinematic study of it. Sure. <laughs> okay, so really quick, I'll uh, say that I finally recently saw Into the Spider Verse, which was Yay! lovely and lots of fun and visually just amazing to look at like whatever that animation style that they arrived at is just something f- feels really unique and 
uh, yeah, fresh and, and just enhanced the experience of it so much. So, Lindsay, what have you been watching? Well, um, I just watched the two-part HBO documentary, Leaving Neverland, which is, of course, about graphic uh, mm -hmm. child molestation by one Mr. Michael Jackson. It is about an hour too long. Um, it, it's because it, it's mostly interviews, um, uh, but it, it, it paints a really kind of... I, damning it's just sort of like mm -hmm. it's like coming out it's like man I, I can't imagine what you what you know but it's also kind of like making a documentary about vaccines and why they're good you know it's kind of like when mm -hmm. you, you when you go in believing what you believe like if unless you're on the fence it's not going to change anyone's mind because mm -hmm. people think what they think about Michael Jackson but it I don't know it was also sort of um it it really kind of drove home to me just sort of like in this, you know, era of like Me Too and, you know, believing victims, just particularly how children tend not to be believed, mm -hmm. and especially like arguably even more than women, because it's really easy to create and, and reinforce this narrative of like, oh, well, they were, you know, coerced or brainwashed. And in the case of Michael Jackson, it's like, but that many, though, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. weird. There's like a deep state, you know, conspiracy yeah. against him. But, you know, people believe that. So um, I don't know. It's like if you can handle it's because it really, really, really graphic descriptions. So if like if you if you uh. if you're not here for like if, if that's too much, because, um, you know, that like basically it's these two grown men looking back on what, what their experience was and it gets really, really graphic. So so it's like, do bear that in mind, content warning, but it's, you know, definitely worth checking out. Um, but, you know, with, with that very large caveat. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe watch Spider-Verse after to yeah. cheer maybe up. We'll watch Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you remember the 90s back when everyone's like, oh, Michael Jackson's fine. Right. It's all fine. He didn't Everything have a was fine back then. Yeah. He didn't yeah. have a childhood. It's very sad. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so, so much no, for joining you. us. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at the Lindsay Ellis on Twitter. That's Lindsay with an A. And uh, my YouTube channel is also just my name because I couldn't think of a better one a good way to go uh, yeah so links to uh Lindsay's channel and several of her videos will be in the show notes really really check them out they're amazing they're so great yeah uh, thank we're you all so big much. fans oh, thank yeah. you yay awesome all right well thanks for listening and we'll see you next time hey guys michael here i just want to say thanks again to Lindsay ellis for coming on the show we had so much fun chatting with her and thank you to all of you guys who have subscribed and listened and left all the amazing reviews on iTunes. Make sure to subscribe to Beyond Screenplay wherever you get your podcasts. We love hearing feedback, so feel free to hit us up and share any thoughts you have. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. And finally, if you want to help us continue to grow both the channel and the podcast, head to the Patreon for lessons from the screenplay to become a patron. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.